The podcast world is growing bigger every day, and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future favorites. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's Tip Jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and they're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow Pizza City once you're there. Sometimes I'll pull into one of my restaurants and the perfect smell of like the grease on the oven stone, the dough and the cheese that comes out of the exhaust is unforgettable. And when I smell it in one of the restaurants, it just it's it's just unforgettable smell. An Italian-American kid from the South Chicago suburbs who grew up going to his dad's pizza joint. He went on to become a successful commercial baker with an artisan line of breads which led to a pizza obsession encompassing Neapolitan, tavern-style thin, artisan, and deep dish. The latter has become one of the finest examples of deep dish in Chicago, and here's the kicker, because it's located near Michigan Avenue, hardly any locals know about it. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Dolinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome to episode two here on Pizza City. Very excited we made it through the first week and we are making our way across the country. This is sort of on purpose. We wanted to start on the West Coast, as we did last uh, two weeks ago at Paisana uh, in Brentwood. And this week, we are here in my hometown, Chicago. Next week, we're going to continue to head east. Today, we're, we're in Chicago, and when you think of Chicago, what do you think of? You think of deep dish, right? Now, in my book, Pizza City USA, we do address deep dish. We also talk about stuffed. It's a separate style of pizza. It is not deep dish. And I, it's funny because I do tours uh, every weekend here in Chicago, and I lead several of them. And even locals who come on the tours are gobsmacked and shocked that they're not the same. They always thought Giordano's, the stuffed pies, were deep dish. Now, they are done in a, in a deep pan, but uh, stuffed has a second layer of dough across the top, a very thin layer of dough across the top, and then a lake of tomato sauce on top of that. And the whole... The thing that people are missing here, deep dish can be good because that bottom that bottom dough is covered, sort of insulated by layers of mozzarella cheese. It protects it from getting wet. When you have a top layer of dough that is literally sitting beneath sauce, it cannot get anything but gummy. It will not get crisp or firm or really baked well. It's just going to be soft and soggy and gummy. And that, I think, is the the experience you have with stuffed pizza. But today we're talking about one of my favorite, actually my favorite deep dish in Chicago. Now, when you talk to Rich Labriola, he will say this is a pan pizza, as the late Burt Katz did at Burt's, uh, who also started Pequod's. Because that dough sits in the pan, he pushes it into a pan with a little bit of coarse cornmeal at the bottom. And he does just pushes it to the edge. He does not push it up along the sides like they do at Lou Malnati's or at... 
uh, Bartoli's or at my pie. Those are deep dish pies, but Rich and Bert and, and their ilk will just push the dough into the, the bottom of the pan, just to the edges, and then they'll put uh, enough mozzarella to cover it and also kiss the inside uh, edge of the pan. And then that does essentially a Detroit bake. When you bake it, that sort of gets crispy on the outside, what's called a frico, and turns into kind of a burnt cheese cracker, which is just fantastic. And uh, Dave Lichterman out in Seattle at Windy City Pie has adopted that method for all of his pizzas at Breezy Town and Windy City Pie. So that is really a unique hallmark um, that, you know, probably started in Detroit in 46 at Buddy's and then migrated over here uh, with places like Burt's and Pequod. So Rich Labriola is the guy we're talking about today at Labriola. He's got another place called La Barra in the suburbs. But when you come to Chicago, I always tell people to go to Labriola now. It's on Michigan Avenue. It's just off of Michigan Avenue. And when you say Michigan Avenue to a Chicagoan, their eyes kind of glaze over and they say, yeah, um, I'll do that when my relatives come to town. Because we typically don't go to Michigan Avenue. It's sort of like if you're in New York, how often do you go to Times Square? You know, wait in line at the tickets booth to get half-priced deals at the Broadway shows. Not very often. And so Michigan Avenue is kind of the same thing. And um, it's one of the reasons when we give tours and locals come on the tour, they're sort of, you know, lost. And they don't really know where they are. And it's a little too difficult to find Labriola, actually, because it's just off Michigan. And they're always so pleasantly surprised when we have the deep dish there. And it, it just changes their complete picture of what deep dish is, what it can be. Uh, we talk about OBR a lot on the show, optimal bite ratio. Even though it's a thicker slice of pizza, there's OBR here. And to be honest with you, it's not that much thicker than a really good Sicilian from, say, the likes of Prince Street Pizza, which is so beloved in New York City. If you measured them kind of side to side, it would probably be pretty close in terms of the the height of the interior. So we're talking to Rich Labriola today. Um, I did meet him in the restaurant recently. We sat down in the back uh, private dining room where we begin our tours usually every Saturday. And um, take a listen. So Rich, you are a product of the south suburbs here, Calumet Park, just south of Chicago. Uh, your dad, Danny, had a pizza joint. Uh, so you kind of grew up in this business, right? Yes. Yeah, my dad had a pizza. It was just carry-out and delivery. Um, he bought from his cousin, I think it's... And I started working there. I was about nine years old. Um, you know, it was a rite of passage in my family. And now I think they would break some labor laws, but it was good back then. Um, was this a thin crust, a tavern style? <laughs> just thin, only thin crust. He never did deep dish. He he. he he only did two sandwiches. And I think deep dish, you know, in the south suburbs, deep dish was more of a what we consider fad. You know, it wasn't, wasn't real pizza, no disrespect to it, but it just wasn't, wasn't, it didn't make an impact in the southern suburbs. And so when you were working there, do you remember the kinds of things your dad was using? I mean, the sauce, the sausage, the cheese, uh, did you put jardinier on your pizza? No, we just did basic, you know, mushroom, onion, pepper. Um, we did anchovies. Uh, little did I know that mixing dough uh, would be my thing, but when I was mixing the dough, we just put it for a certain amount of time. And he always used corn oil in the dough, which I think, I, I don't know the, the uh, history of corn oil, but I believe corn oil was for people who couldn't afford olive oil and it had a great flavor. And if you see, I mean, you know, a lot of you know, home run in, their crust is full of corn oil. So all the pizza guys gravitated to corn oil for some reason. I don't know what it is, but it has such a great flavor that I believe it's just a great alternative to olive oil, and it's not, you know, a lard or something like that. And unlike a lot of guys who grew up in the pizza business, you didn't stay in the business and sort of take over that business from your dad. You went off and did other things, right? 
Yeah, so he, he sold it in 1979, but I still worked in other pizza restaurants. And even I delivered pizzas for a long time. And I, I always had two jobs. And then I worked for Commonwealth Edison. And then... Um, you were a meter reader, right? I was a meter reader, which they don't exist anymore. <laughs> so I got out good. That was 27 years ago. But um, they, I was asked to leave. It's very nice. Well, not so nicely. <laughs> well, well, I had read that, uh, maybe this is wrong, I read that your uncle brought you a piece of bread from a, a bakery in the northwest side called Casa Nostra, and that kind of changed your life. And you, you said, I'm done with meter reading. I'm going to go into bread. Yeah, that did, that did change my life, actually. He brought it. My mom used to cook for him. You know, um, he would have card games. He would cook, make a couple pans of lasagna. He'd pick them up, give her $100. Everything was great. And he brought some bread one time. And first I thought it was stale. It was so hard. And then once you cut into it, you know, the crust was hard. And I had, had, never, nothing, had never had anything like it. And so he introduced me to uh, the owner. Um, a few months later, it was, it was actually convenient because I was trying to figure out a way to start that business and I couldn't because I had a full-time job so <laughs> when it was decided that I didn't have a full-time job anymore I started the business I mean I'll never forget I had a, a choice to go work for the tollway system in an office or start this business and I made the right choice I think so um, so I distributed for, for Casa Nostra brought it to the south suburbs you're literally putting it in your car and driving around to the south side because Casa Nostra is northwest side and you're going south side. That's a, that's a long drive. Yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing I'm proud of with Casa Nostra is that they never came to the south suburbs. And nobody came to the south suburbs but the bigger bakeries. So I was kind of the first one who came to the south suburbs with something that was considered not artisan bread but really good, you know, homemade Italian bread. So you decided in 93 to open up your own bakery then in, in, in Alsip? In Alsip, yeah. We had 10,000 square feet. Um, I didn't know, still didn't know how to make bread. Um, I hired a baker, and, you know, it's all the same story. Luckily, the baker wasn't very good. Because the baker was very good, I may never have learned. Um, and so over the course of the next two or three years, you know, we tried a bunch of different things, and Corner Bakery had just opened, and Artisan Bread was starting to finally take off. And I started taking classes in San Francisco. I made this incredible country Italian bread. It was kind of a sourdough with yeast in it, though. You know, I, I took that class from a guy from Acme Bread, which is, you know, one of the first and most famous artisan bakers in the country. And, you know, I got back. I worked on a couple of weeks, and the first stop was uh, Spago when it was in Chicago. And that was a big deal to get that account then. So, Francois Quacudango was the opening yeah, chef yeah, there. he was a great guy, great guy. I met, you know, Wolfgang Puck a couple times. Um, they all loved the bread. And then, you know, after that, I mean... It was just, you know, it was all artisan bread. I, you know, I didn't have a direction the first three or four years. So you're doing brioche, baguette, what, everything? Sourdoughs, ciabattas. Um, the first week of distributing was $300 in sales. Uh, out of my Ford Escort, 1985 and a half. It was 85 and a half because it had different headlights. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, okay. And when I sold it uh, over five years ago, um, we were doing about $35 million. So um, $35 million, is a lot doesn't sound like a lot in the history you know in the world today 35 million is a small company but in handmade bread it's a lot of bread okay so how did pizza come back into your life then because um you weren't doing any pizza for several years i mean you were i know you're all the baguettes for all the trader joe's for example were coming out of your bakery but you weren't really doing pizzas how'd that come back um so uh you know i, I never you know pizza really kind of never left i never played with it for probably you know, 35 years, but I always knew what I liked in pizza, and I always knew what my father did, and I always tried to say, you know, what could be better, and it just turned out that he was so simple, and that was the best, you know. And so about five years ago, I had an idea with a, a chef friend of mine to open a pizza 
uh, from t like Tony's in uh, San Francisco, the different styles of pizza. I thought that was interesting. Um, so we kind of condensed that, added a full Italian menu, and then we went to work on pizza. Um, this is in the suburbs, by the way, right, in, in, in Oak Brook? <clears throat> yeah, so we... It was but, but before this, you had your Labriola Cafe and Neapolitan pizza. Yes, yes. So the Neapolitan came about, um, and I didn't know anything about Neapolitan either. I just... And we don't really, you know, at Labriola, we don't make, in cafe, we don't make true Neapolitan. It's kind of a New York Neapolitan. Do you think that helped you, by the way, when you say, I don't know, I didn't know anything about baking, I didn't know anything about making Neapolitan, so you didn't really have any inhibition? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it helped me, because I, I would go to bakery shows, and I would talk to people who were third-generation bakers, but no disrespect, but if your first two generations weren't very good, then you're not going to be very good, and you're going to do what they tell you. And I listen to everybody. You know, I think my style of bread is not German, French, or Italian. It's all three. Um, that's what I pick because each style of bread has its own really great ideas. If you stick to one, you're just limiting yourself. So, um, and that's when I developed a Neapolitan dough. I had Neapolitan pizza, and I traditional Neapolitan pizza is not my favorite thing. I feel the dough lacks a little bit of flavor, um, and so the only way I could impart flavor to it was adding starters. Um, and making a, a and, ma and let it bake longer, and so ours, like I said, it's kind of a hybrid. You want, you know, we pick a piece up, the edge should fold just a little, should bend a little bit. It shouldn't fall down. And it's not going to be straight as an arrow. Yeah, no tip sag, but no, yeah. yeah. Um, so after this, you open the Labriola, the the Neapolitan. Then you open Labara, the place you're referring to, where you have the multiple styles, right? Yes. So we worked on Labara styles. So it was funny because I had to recreate my father's pizza with some old piece of paper, you know, that didn't make sense to me. I didn't know who had the right recipe. I don't think anybody did. You know, my, my brother gave me one. My friend of my brother's who my father gave it to gave him one. And none of them looked familiar to me because I remember making it. You know, that the oregano and the basil were the same cups and the sugar was half the amount. And none of it matched up. By the way, was your dad from Chicago or from Italy? He was born in, in Chicago. Um, his parents were from Italy, but all my grandparents were from Italy. What part? My mom's side was from Calabria, and my dad's was from Potenza. Okay. So um, so you're trying to decipher these recipes. You're looking through dad's handwriting, and you're trying to come up with that great thin you remember as a kid. Yes. And so we, you know, knowing what I know now, you know, I'm not a chef, but I know how food works very well. Is You know, we tried fresh basil, fresh oregano, saying, okay, this has got to be better, but they lack the punch in a pizza. They need to stand out in pizza. Um, and so, you know, we just, you know, we use dry oregano. We, we tried different cheeses. My dad used to use Cholino cheese, which is incredible cheese. It's just such, produced so small now. It, it's not uh, feasible to use, and there's a little bit of inconsistency. So we, you know, we went back to the drawing board, and we, you know, we tried Bel Paes cheese. We tried, we made some incredible pizzas that were so rich you could have one piece and be done. That doesn't work, you know. The beauty of like a Vito and Nick's is it's easy to eat, and it's good, and you like it, and it fills you up. You know, when you have something very rich, I love to eat. But when you eat something very, very rich, you don't want to go back to it. It's a bad feeling in your stomach. By the way, with the Vito and Nick's reference for people who don't know from Chicago, uh, southwest side of the city, classic tavern style, one of my favorite tavern styles in all of Chicago. So you're doing multiple styles of thin. You're doing an artisan, you, and you created a deep at La Bar too, right? Yes, yeah, so we created a deep dish, um, and we wanted it to be different. And so uh, Chef Chris Amakia, he, he thought of the idea of making it like Burt's and Pequod's. Um, and then, you know, after that... that By the way, when you say Burt's and Pequod's, I just want to back up for one second. Now, Louisa Chu from the Tribune told me when she talked to Burt 
may he rest in peace. Um, he called his pizza a pan pizza, not a deep dish. And I argue with her and saying, listen, all deeps are pans, not all pans are deep. Yes. But what do you think about this with the pan, the deep, and the... I'm going to confuse the issue more. I believe it's also a pan, but I believe people don't recognize that name, so we change it to deep dish. Um, I believe it's a pan pizza. Um, but, you know, only because the difference for me is a deep dish has a raised edge. Okay, like the same exact pan. Yeah, like my pie, like Bartoli's, you don't do that. I don't. Th- and Bert's and Pequod's don't necessarily do the raised on the side. And the, the only raised edge is the cheese crust, you know, um, which is arguably one of the best parts of the pizza. No doubt. Okay, so you're developing this with Chris Macchia, your chef at the time. Yeah, so we, you know, of course, it makes no sense for him to work on the dough, so I did. You know, um, he worked on some sauces, and you know, it was a collaboration. But... You know what I know about is baking. So we and, and you know really, the frustration came out because it took me a good two months, and I was aggravated that it took me that long. You have to play with the salt ratios because pizza bread has two percent salt. Pizza should not because salt holds moisture. Um, you want a crisp crust. You can't have that much. You can't have a lot of salt. Some good pizza guys don't use any salt, and the crust is very crisp, but it lacks the flavor that I like. So we use about one and a half percent salt. Um, instead of the 2.1 in bread. And so that was a big deal because, you know, there's so much salt on the pizza, the crust doesn't need to have a lot of salt. And the balance of everything, you know, I learned about balance in pizza more than I'd ever learned because even in sauce, you know, if your sauce is too rich on top of cheese, on top of meat, your pizza's not enjoyable. And that's another, not going back to Vito Nick's, their sauce is very, my dad's sauce was very thin and not rich at all. A little bit of paste, but too much paste, and it just doesn't feel right when you eat it. So the balance of our deep dish, people see it and think it's this five-pound monster. It's really, I mean, you've had it. It's not that heavy. It looks heavy. It's really not heavy compared to what it looks like. Coming up, Rich Labriola explains how he makes his memorable deep-slash-pan pizza in Chicago. Then later, we preview what's coming up in two weeks as we make our way across the country. Stick around. To learn more about how to make pizza professionally, be sure to attend the 35th Annual International Pizza Expo in Las Vegas, March 4th to the 7th. It's the world's largest pizza industry show, serving independent and chain pizzerias. Attendees include pizzeria or pizza concept restaurant owners, operators, and managers, as well as distributors and food brokers. Exhibitors include suppliers of pizza ingredients and pizza flour, point-of-sale systems, ovens, kitchen equipment, marketing and promotional materials, and many other companies providing goods and services to the pizza restaurant industry. Pizza Expo is not open to the general public, so you have to register. Go to pizzaexpo.com for more information. See you in March. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're talking with Rich Labriola this week, uh, founder, owner, baker. He's got Labara in the suburbs and then Labriola with a city and suburban um, location. It's confusing. The one in the suburbs in Oak Brook is called uh, Labriola Cafe and Neapolitan Pizza. So he's got a Neapolitan oven there. He's wood-burning. What he does downtown is very different. There is no wood-burning oven. And he's got a Pizza Master oven. I'll talk about that in a second. The Pizza Masters, which I know... Uh, guys like Adam at, at uh, Sauce Pizzeria on the Lower East Side, or East Village, excuse me, uh, in New York, love the Pizza Masters as well. Rich has got a Pizza Master. He does thins down below in two ovens and then deeps on the top. Uh, stone Deck, of course, 
uh, bakes those at about 530 degrees for 45 minutes or so. Um, so I wanted to really get into um, the, the minutia of how he makes this pizza. So that's where we continue the conversation right now. There's some corn flour in it. There's all purpose, obviously. You do a bulk ferment. You make it one day. You let it rest overnight, chilled. But then the day of, you pull it out and you sort of push it into an oiled uh, pan with coarse cornmeal, which is also very Midwestern, right? Yeah. So the cornmeal, I mean, the cornmeal is just such a a, pe- mid- a Chicago pizza thing. You know, you were already at this point. You've got corn flour, corn oil, and then cornmeal, and you haven't put anything on the dough yet. Exactly. So we. The reason why we did the cornmeal on the bottom, um, I think that was actually Chris's idea also, was um, I tried to put it in the dough, and when you, something that coarse in the dough cuts through the gluten, and it won't rise correctly. So to impart that, um, we oil it, put the cornmeal down in the pan. You still get that crunch on the bottom, that flavor of, you know, sometimes I'll pull into one of my restaurants, and, you know, I when I used to, my dad used to pull up to his restaurant, you could the, the the perfect smell of like the the grease on the oven stone, the dough and the cheese that comes out of the exhaust is unforgettable, and when I smell it in one of the restaurants, it just it's it's just unforgettable smell. I and I can't explain it to you, but I know what it's from. It's from it's not from sausage cooking. It's from grease from the pizza hitting the stone, and that it's not an unpleasant thing. It's very pleasant. And one of those components though is the is the cornmeal. I could smell the cornmeal from the oven outside the exhaust that is such a specific childhood it memory really, that's amazing really is. Um, okay so you got the dough in there and then you let it rest another couple of hours i think about three three and a half hours that day and then you start to top it and you've got to do cheese first and not just any cheese grande from grande from wisconsin yeah whole milk mozzarella i mean everybody you know a lot of not everybody a lot of people in the pizza business will use a part skim it's an economical cheese People may not know the difference, and that's fine, but our, our mission, that's not our mission. We use whole milk uh, grande and uh, for the deep dish, and then the thin crust has a different whole milk cheese because it's a little sharper and drier, but the creaminess of the grande really it fits the deep dish because and, of how you cut it. And, of course, you're, you're doing yours in two-ounce slices, fairly thick, and about a dozen or so on a large, so about 24 ounces of mozzarella on top of your 14-inch uh, dough. Yes, yeah, so it's a yeah, pound and a half, and then... You know, probably about almost a pound of sausage. Okay, so sausage. Talk to me about sausage. This is the Russo sausage you sell here, named for Italo Russo, who sold to your dad? Yes. He worked for a, a wholesale place that sold sausage to my dad's pizzeria. So he was naturally the first place I went to make some custom blend. And what I had learned over the years about pizza and, and richness, as I keep talking about, is he, he took his regular blend, added a little bit more fennel, which I'm a huge fennel fan, and we added a little Calabrian chili because with all the richness, you need just, and it's not spicy because I don't like spice, heavy spice. This is just enough spice to make it enjoyable with all the richness going on. And there's some in our, a little bit of Calabrian chili in our sauce too. And we take this for granted being from the Midwest and from Chicago, but we're talking bulk sausage pinched and pressed onto the raw dough as opposed to the East Coast norm, which is slicing sausages that are tend to be sweeter with no fennel, like into little coins onto the pizza, which I think frankly lack a lot of flavor have you yes, had that it, it it looks weird to me and it, 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 and you know the, the, for me with the sausage and when i teach people to make pizza it's the pinch and press but i teach them to press it because when you press it with three fingers you create these different surfaces that accept we put sausage on the bottom so uh, the deep dish it goes on top thin crust on bottom 
but those little ridges caramelize differently and it makes a little texture and when you put it on a thin crust the cheese when you press the sausage it gets to melt down to the sauce and when you eat it you it's a it's a it's just a, your mouth, the way your mouth accepts it, it's just awesome. But some people will use a ball, little ball sausage, automatic machines, which are a necessity. But the, if you look at some of those pizzas, the cheese never makes it down to the sauce to combine in the oven. And it's a, just a different eat. You know? That is some deep <laughs> thoughts about sausage. Okay, so then on top of this, the last thing on a deep dish is the sauce, of course. You combine some of your thin sauce with, with your thick sauce. From what I remember, I think you've got three types: sapori, uh, sapori filetis. You got like peeled tomatoes, crushed tomatoes, pureed tomatoes. But you also make a mirepoix, which is carrot, celery, and onions, and then you puree that into this. We do. So we we make the mirepoix because what we found was it it kind of cuts it rounds out the flavors and cuts the acidity. And so we add that to our deep dish sauce. And I'm sorry, to our thin crust sauce. Thin crust sauce is added to the deep dish to give it a little bit of character and spice because tomatoes are great. But just tomatoes um, are a little bland. A pinch of cayenne too. Uh, yes, a pinch, of, and that that goes in the thin crust sauce. That's amazing. And then and then you top it with just dried oregano and pecorino romano. Locatelli pecorino romano is my favorite food group. And you like that because it's a sharper, sort of more salty, firmer sheep's milk cheese. Yes, I mean you don't need a. T- I mean, we I grew up on that, so I put it on everything. You know? But it you don't need a lot of it. But it's such a big difference because that's hitting your mouth. You know, it, it, not first, but it's at the top, you know, so at the top of your taste buds, it's hitting it. And you can really tell the difference. So, so Lou Malnati's does, for like 75 cents extra, you can get a butter crust. At La Briola, for a couple of, is it a buck extra or two, you can get fennel pollen on the pizza. Why is that? You know, fennel pollen, I, I think I, I can't remember the first time I was exposed to it, but it's such a warm, inviting flavor. Um, and I, don't, I couldn't even tell you how they make it. But, and, and that's just a, it's just an extra special you know, it just it plays off the sausage very well. I'm a baker, so I I should be better at dough than most pizza people because that you know, I've made so many different styles of bread and studied it for the last 25 years. It's the only thing I've done is bread. So our dough is is much lighter than it appears to be, and most deep dish doughs are almost some some are hybrids of the thin crust dough. Which a thin crust you cannot make a good deep dish. It's just way too heavy, um, and so I think that's the misconception of I'm not eating this big heavy thing and when, when I get people to try the deep dish now it's now they come back saying I don't know which one I want you know and then do you add another layer of Chicagoese which is the jardinier on a pizza or is that verboten for you no we do Richie's Italian beef which is beef and jardinier uh, that's that's a pretty good seller the first time I was exposed to it I, I just made a face I'm like this doesn't sound good and I'm not even a jardinier fan but it, it works really well on pizza I think a jardinier and the Russo sausage would be a good combination I think that that could be lunch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. I always ask this to the, the pizza makers uh, that we talk to. Um, knowing what you know now, you've gone through this trial and error. It only took you two months to figure out your dough, apparently. But you've done a lot of research and development over the years. What would you tell your younger self in terms of giving your, your pizza advice to yourself 15 years ago that would save you a lot of headaches right now? What would that good advice be standing from where you're standing now? You know, I think it was just... Knowing so much about artisan bread hindered my progress because I was trying to make a bread dough. And when I made a bread dough for pizza, it didn't work. It just, it did not work at all. And so that would be the one thing about, you know, you have to forget everything you know almost about artisan bread. Because pizza is bread, but it's not bread. You know, you need lower protein flours. So I knew too much about artisan baking 
But, you know, after you fail a few times and you stop and say, okay, this bread approach is not working, how do I combine the both together, which is pizza dough with low-protein flour for Chicago and starters from the bread world. And that's what I ended up doing. That's why it took me so long. Well, you know how I feel about your deep dish. And um, thank you for bringing it back to Chicago and reinventing it and uh, making it appealing to people, not, not just from Chicago, but from beyond. So congratulations on all that, Rich. Thank you. Appreciate it. Coming up in two weeks, a St. Louis native with a global resume opens his first pizza shop in Brooklyn, then quickly expands to the Lower East Side. So that creamy, rich, umami cheese has that kind of sharp, spicy, acidic chili to cut that. Um, And then with the sausage and the finocchiona and, you know, the funk of that just cure and, you know, the brightness of the tomato sauce, it's... I mean, I I think it's the best pizza in the United States. I'll talk with Justin Bazdarich about his wood-fired artisan pies at Speedy Romeo and why he insists on making his mozzarella in-house while also flying in the Provel of his childhood. That's in two weeks on February 1st. I produced and edited today's show. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. You can find more information about this show and previous episodes at PizzaCityUSA.com, including Instagram links for Labriola in Chicago. Thanks for listening, everybody, and remember, optimal bite ratio is the key to pizza happiness.